Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosak, and for our first program of the year, it gives me great pleasure to welcome our first guest, um, someone who's on our program quite a, a bit, Dr. David uh, Roy, who's a lecturer in the School of Education at the University of Newcastle, New South Wales. Welcome to Viewpoints, uh, David Roy. As always, Henry, it feels like an honour to be asked to come back, and I haven't quite yet offended anyone there. <laughs> <laughs> so when will the offence start to commence, do you think, David? What topic in particular do you think you'll be speaking about that could cause offence? It could be anywhere from education to politics to the use of computers in our growing society. Who knows? It could go anywhere. Well, let's start with a topic that's been in the media recently. I've got strong opinions about it, but I'm going to be more than excited about listening to your opinions. Chat GPT. Ah, yes, Chat GPT, the AI writing. I guess it's it's called a a language a dialogue program. Um, so Chat GPT, for those people listening at home who don't quite know what it is, is a program you can use or, or a computer program you can use where you type in uh, what you would like the AI to write about for you. So you might say, please tell me all about masks and how they've been used in theatre and schools. Please make it a thousand words and have 20 references in it that are maybe uh, from 2015 onwards. And it will write it out for you. Uh, and people are getting very panicky and worried about this because they see it as the ultimate ability to cheat in a written assessment. And um, there are concerns, but I think we also have to look at the opportunities. So, yes, it's something that can be used to write on your behalf, but that has its own problems and challenges to it as well. <laughs> yes, and, and I've been reading, and, and the debate's been raging about whether it should or shouldn't uh, uh, be used because of the cheating thing. I've always equated it <clears throat> in my recent conversations to, well, driving cars. Clearly, David, uh -huh. if you drive a car, there's a risk of killing somebody, hurting yourself, yeah. doing damage. But the alternative is that we go back to the horse and buggy era. Now, cars have never disappeared because of the dangers. I, I doubt chat GPT will. So what do you make of the various three governments, state governments, have already paused or put a hold on it in Victoria, New South Wales, I think, and Queensland, as well as overseas in uh, in New York. It's been yeah. banned from schools there. What do you make? Is that sensible cautiousness or is it over the top? I think maybe it's sensible cautiousness at the moment. The, the thing you have to realise is that you may ban it from a server on your school or your, your workplace but that doesn't stop people from using it at home. I think what we really have to do is instead of saying, oh, new technology, this will damage everything, let's ban it. I think we have to realize, as you said, well, it's clear already that the genie is out of the bottle. So how do we use it and how do we better educate the people around us about the way it can be used positively and the negative? So one of the major things for me is that, yep, People have always found ways to get around the system and hire people to write their essays for them or get or have a ghostwriter. And if people want to do that, they are going to do that. The key thing for me, and, and I think about this coming from an education academic in the university, is if a student chooses to do that and submit it, that's their loss. They might end up getting a degree, 
but they will not have the knowledge to apply with that degree and they'll very quickly be found out, they'll very quickly be happy and it will have been a waste of four years of their life and about $50,000. So in many ways, I'm not that worried about it. They've also developed another AI program that can spot AI writing and the writing is imperfect. You start to see slight errors in it and if you know the people who are meant to be submitting work, you can look at it and go, well, this is meant to be submitted by a 14-year-old in a school, but this reads like someone with a PhD. So potentially there could be some element of cheating going on, and it might force us to use other forms of assessment in schools and in universities and in the workplace to actually have people demonstrate their depth of knowledge and learning that doesn't just involve the skill of writing. And that, that's a good thing. We need the skill of writing, but we also need to recognize that some people have knowledge, but are maybe not good at expressing it in a written form. I, I always go back to some of the smartest people I know are people I used to meet in the pub, and they were really clever, but they had no degree, they left school at the age of 16, and they had problems with literacy, but they were still really smart. Uh, good point, David. Playing devil's advocate here, um, I've read, and we'll, we'll start with the tertiary system, uh, plagiarism, cheating, once we've been able to use computers long before ChatGPT has come along, is an issue that has yep. been spoken about at universities and it yep. consumes a lot of time. So now with ChatGPT, which is a more sophisticated uh, way of doing that, doesn't that exacerbate the problem? That's question one as devil's advocate. And the second one is if people do go out there with degrees that uh, they've got to some degree fraudulently and get found out, won't that uh, rebound? on the institutions that have not spotted it? Well, I, I think this is always going to happen. Um, again, as we've said before, people have been doing this for years. And we have some quite sophisticated programs. There's things such as you might have heard, the listeners might have heard called Turnitin, which can check through millions of pieces of writing to see if something has been plagiarized. And there's only going to be so many ways you can use chat GTP until it's then caught out within the Turnitin system. Uh, on top of that, yep, it has happened and, and universities are, being, are very vigilant. We spend a lot of time, a lot of money and dedicated staff to ensure that that doesn't happen. But like within everything, there will be the odd flaw that we can't avoid. Um, and it won't reflect any worse on the institution because what really counts is the quality of teaching and learning that goes on in any university or school. And that's what they are measured by. And if that, if the people coming out do not have the quality, then there's something else going on there in the first place that we didn't pick up on. So I'm very aware that in the courses I teach, basically if students aren't attending and listening to what's going on, you can see that reflected in their work and in the results they get by not being employed. So it always works itself out in the end. Um, and uh, people won't have the skills to apply if they have used plagiarism all the way through. So in the long term, I'm actually not that worried. I think this is just another distraction, another blow up in the media, and people are, as they do with so many things, panicking instead of saying, what can we change, what can we do, what can we actually impact and affect with this, if that makes sense? 
Yeah, it makes perfect sense, David. Of course, um, the focus has been on one aspect of ChatGPT, and I must say I'm only learning about it, and I am actually excited about it, and that is uh-huh. the potential to cheat in the work you do. But from what I can gather, um, there's a lot of other things that AI, and that's really what we're talking about, yeah. and ChatGPT is, is a derivative of all that. There's a lot of other benefits that can uh, ChatGPT can enable us to do to take out busy work and planning work yes. and prep work. It's not just about cheating on essays. Can you see benefits uh, in, in your work and I guess by definition uh, across the education sector? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, again, we should embrace technology and it does free up people to do away from tedious, repetitive tasks to actually use the executive functioning critical thinking we have in the front of our brains to actually be creative and to develop. But that is also why in education we need to get beyond just focusing on the three R's, um, even though the three R's actually don't all start with R. You're, you're reading, writing, and arithmetic. Only <laughs> one that starts with an R. Yes, well, we absolutely. call it three R's. I've, I've always found that ironic um that allow us to really think about you know questioning knowledge and and being creative and and seeing education as a form to create a whole person rather than rather than basically an ai robot itself where you just can push buttons write words and add up numbers but have no meaning behind it so i think ai can do a lot that way we've seen that through the car industry germany embraced it japan embraced it Places like Australia and Britain didn't to the same degree. And who has a car industry that is thriving and a manufacturing base with skills? Germany, Japan. So those countries that embrace technology and use it to enhance the skills we already have with our staff and with people tend to actually go further. And those countries that fight against it tend to be diminished in those areas afterwards. So absolutely. Yeah, good point that you make there, David. Will you take a short break? Can you hold the line? Of course. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Gruskin. I'm in a discussion with Dr. David Roy, lecturer in the School of Education at the University of Newcastle. Welcome back, David. Thank you. Now, you've just uh, come back from France. Uh, It's the other side of the world. Of course, Australia has a long history with uh, Europe and European culture. And uh, we've just had the Australian Tennis Open and there were a few French uh, players in it. But you've been there. Tell us a little bit about um, what it was like over there from the perspective with which um, you went. Well, it's, it's been quite an interesting experience. I've had to go to France twice in the past three months, actually, because I had family members who passed and I had to deal with a, a lot of the estate and things there. But what I found really interesting, and for those listening, uh, you might tell my accent doesn't originate from Australia, um, going back to Europe and then thinking about the past 20 years I've had in Australia, how Europe has changed and what I would maybe look back with in rose-tinted glasses is not quite the same. And I have to say, both myself and my 18-year-old son, when we were coming back into Australia, we were so glad. We could not believe how clean we found Sydney. And people who live in Sydney will be surprised by this, maybe. And (laughs) how quiet the roads were. 
We talk about the busy streets and roads and cars and traffic. That is nothing in comparison to trying to get through Paris. Um, so lots of differences. Things I still love about France and Europe and some of the foods, the, the bread and the taste, and no offence to all the Melbournians listening, but <laughs> the coffee, uh, the coffee is just fantastic. <laughs> But there were some really interesting things that I discovered. Um, the, the prices of houses and yet the price of petrol. So our house land prices are unbelievable. I, I was um, involved with a house there that sold for what would be the equivalent of $300,000 in Australia. But the size of land and house it was, you could probably sell for $2.5 million in Australia. So there's a real issue we have with our land prices but our petrol's cheap our food seems to be cheaper our clothes seem to be cheaper um so there's lots of interesting little differences and to be honest it made me realize i like going abroad but i love coming to home and home is now for me australia because we do have such a good life here and i think you don't always appreciate it until you spend a significant time abroad, not just in a holiday resort, but actually mingling with community people. Yes, you, look, it's a point that um, that I've found. My wife and I travel overseas as often as we can, um, and and it's it's always exactly the same as what you say. It's also one of the greatest greatest educational uh, experiences that you can have at any age. Oh, yeah. Is is David uh, to travel overseas? Um, one of the things I find is the the viewpoints uh, that people have overseas of Australia. There there is a quaintness in there. Their, their view of Australia, and often uh, we think we're more important in the world than we are. It can be quite humbling. How do you now? You came from uh, Scotland, so you were yes. part of the of Europe, and you came here as an adult. Going back now as an Australian, how do you see uh, uh, the the relationship uh, the Europeans have in terms of how they perceive us? With how you feel about yourself now that you're in Australia. Well, that's also quite an interesting thing because we did have discussions about the benefits and pros of different areas and the politics. And it does seem that um, I have changed and that we are quite an accepting community. We are much more multicultural than we sometimes want to admit to ourselves and more inclusive, even if it's not always represented in media. Um, so there's little things like that where people go, but isn't there a problem of race within Australia? And when I actually looked at situations, I was kind of going, actually, I would argue there's not. I mean, I think there are challenges and problems that we have. This whole uh, kind of debate that is already coming up about the voice mm. um, is going to highlight those elements. And I'm not diminishing that in any way. And I think the way that we've treated our First Nations people and still do is has a lot to be desired. Let's put it that way. But overall we're actually in a much better position than we realised. And that's one of the reasons I think that we've managed to get through the various global financial crises that are still currently going on, that we're not having the fuel poverty to the same degree. We're not seeing the homelessness. We're not seeing the food banks. We're actually still surviving as one of the more successful economic nations. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite amazing. Potentially maybe because our politicians are so ineffectual, the rest of us just get <laughs> on and do things. Because I actually believe that's what it is. They are so vanilla that we just get on as people in Australia 
and, and keep going. Yes, in terms of those perspectives, and you're right, um, I, I know in your workplace you we get young teachers, graduates, they spend a few years at our school and uh, that becomes the minimum benchmark if they've not been anywhere else, the insularity yeah. of it. To what extent, and again this is just anecdotal and observational, David, to what extent do you think um, the pandemic... Um, and because of the pandemic for several years there, international travel has been very much restricted and being an island continent so far away, we've had less direct contact with those countries. To what extent do you think that's affected our perception of, um, of ourselves and our issues? I think we need to keep travelling. I think we need to, all of us need to be going out more and engaging so we can look back ourselves and reflect. It's another country is a wonderful mirror to yourself. And I think the COVID issue and the, the, the isolation that was created for good or for bad, depending on your viewpoint, has impacted on us. And we maybe have become slightly more insular and caught up in our small issues and, and problems rather than some of the bigger global ones that we still need to deal with but hoping that as people get their their boosters and more and more people still need to get their third and fourth booster folks if you're listening get it done mm, it will it will hopefully open our minds again to the wider picture um i think young people i i, I live in hope for young people because i hear them and i hear their hopes and their dreams and i see the potential and they, they give me real joy for what is going to potentially happen in the future. That's a good point you make there. Um, of course, uh, the other issue, um, and it's been an interesting one, is we've had the Australian Open. Novak mm -hmm. Djokovic, who was a very controversial figure, number one or one of the best yeah. tennis players of all time, came out to Australia. Um, he's not banned this year and he's won the tournament. Um, Australians are still ambivalent about him. Why is that? I think we are ambivalent because he seemed to flout the rules that we had in place for everyone else. And I think there's been a whole issue of, of not just him, but of celebrities being given special dispensation to come in, to bring in money to the country. And I understand why, but in the sense of the fair goal, it's just not a fair goal. It didn't help him that some of the people who supported him chose to bring in flags supporting Russia. And that in itself is slightly problematic given the way that what Russia has been doing within Europe um, and basically invading another country. So I think we have challenges with all of that within Novak. Just the same way we have challenges with Kyrgios uh, and his outspoken behaviour, which we both find entertaining, but also slightly embarrassing as an Australian tennis player. And many of these sports people, they have a sense of entitlement. And we see it in all the sports. And I like those sporting individuals who recognise they are role models to the young just like we all should be, and try to therefore be respectful and and joyous. And I see I see that with some of the previous winners, um, like Roger Federer. He demonstrated that time and time again. Mm. As does even Andy Murray. But I might be biased about Andy Murray, being that he is a Scot. Absolutely, but he's an outstanding Scot. And uh, look, I was cheering for him uh, in the Open too. And the poor man basically played, what, about four matches in two days? Oh, yeah, going through till uh, like three, four in the morning. So I, I felt for him. Um, but overall, I, I think that 
tennis players need to recognise they are in a privileged position and uh, actually respect that. If you want to maybe see a good movie on Netflix, watch King Richard. It might have the violent Will Smith in it, but it is a very good movie looking at the development of um, of some of the tennis players that have come through in the past 10 years um, of the Williams sisters. Absolutely. David, as always, time just gets away from us. It's a, it's a wonderful, free-ranging conversation that yes. we have. I think the listeners don't realise that we don't actually sit there and have a prepared uh, dialogue with which we're going to continue. It just flows freely and, uh, and it, uh, it, it's certainly a real pleasure for me to have an open-ended conversation and you bring such a, a wealth of knowledge and uh, wisdom to the conversation. And uh, as always, I'd like to thank you and book in... Uh, uh, a time somewhere in the next three or four weeks uh, shortly for when you'll be back on the program. Sounds fantastic. And as always, Henry, it's just a pleasure to have a yarn with you. So um, always, it's just good fun. Absolutely. That was uh, Dr. David Roy, lecturer in the School of Education at the University of New South Wales. Listeners.